What a wonderful time of, of worship to get focused on why we come here, isn't it? Well, church, it's good to be back. Um, we had a week vacation. Um, I feel a little more tired than I was before I left, so I don't know if that's a good thing or not. Uh, is that the sign of a good vacation? I don't know. Uh, Brian did a, thank you. Brian did a good job last week getting us started in the book of John, John chapter 7. As always, um, very thankful that we can continue the scripture and, uh, and I can take a Sunday and, and um, be free from the pulpit knowing that God's word is going to get clearly preached. And so let's continue to do that. And again, the book of John, if you remember, John's goal in writing this book was threefold. One is he wants us to know that Jesus is the Son of God. And that he wants us to believe that truth and then bear witness to that truth. As you read through the book of John, understand, keep those three things in the back of your mind saying, this is what it's all about. And this is really going to happen uh, more so in this scripture today than, than other places. Um, and it's taken place during the Jewish festival of shelters. And that was explained, I believe, last week a little bit, how all the male Jews had to come back to Jerusalem for this specific holiday that they celebrated. It was a joyful, week-long celebration. Couldn't you go for a holiday like that where it's just a week-long celebration? Everybody's off for a week. Um, families are camped out, though. A little bit different, though, in this holiday. They're camped out in temporary shelters or booths or tents to remember God's faithfulness to them when they were in the wilderness. When they left Egypt and they wandered in the wilderness for all those years, they had to live in something, so they had these temporary booths and shelters and tents. And so this particular celebration reminded them of what they went through and how God was faithful to them throughout that period of time. So people lived in uh, these makeshift tents and booths. They still do this. They will build these in their back courtyards or areas. Uh, and they come in, if they've got a flat roof, they might build it up on top of their roof. Um, and then again, a time of thanksgiving and celebration. Now, Jesus is on his way. If you remember last week, his brothers talked to him about this, and then they took off, and then he took off a little bit later after them. He didn't immediately go, and we discovered, though, that the religious leaders were wanting to kill him, and so we asked, is that why he waited? Was he fearful of the religious leaders and what they would do to him? Is that, you know, was it fear that kept him from leaving Galilee? No. No, he was aware of the Father's perfect timing. And it wasn't yet for his time to go, and it wasn't yet for his time to be arrested. There's a time for that, but Jesus had to be obedient to his heavenly Father. His brothers told him, hey, why don't you go prove yourself to be the Messiah? Put yourself on a bigger platform, Jerusalem. This is going to be great for you, right? And, and as Brian mentioned last week, there's various reasons as to why they said this. Was it that they wanted to gain from it, the popularity as my brother out there? Was it they were just being encouraging, hey, you can do this? Or were they being cynical? Like, hey, you ought to go now. Why not? You know, this is, a, this is the best place for you to show off your spectacular self. Regardless of what they were doing um, and what they were saying, you could almost sense in them that sort of, hey, you're famous now. Why hide that? If you're so great, prove it to the world. We, we learn in verse 5, if you look in your scriptures, chapter 7, verse 5, they didn't believe in him at this time. I would lean more towards, they would probably be more cynical than they were encouraging. There was a hint of, of both in there. But they didn't believe in him at this time. It wasn't until after the resurrection that they believed in him. 
But at this time, they did not. So let's pick up. We're going to go back to where Brian was. I'm going to just going to glim, uh, sort of just go over, skim over some of that, and then get into more of uh, this chapter. So verse 6 of the old John 7, verse 6, says, Jesus replied, Now is not the time for me to go, but you can go any time. Then we sort of skim on the 8. You can go on. I'm not going to the festival because my time has not yet come. After saying these things, Jesus remained in Galilee. Now don't miss this. Because Jesus was completely submitted to the will of his heavenly Father. He could have gone whenever he wanted to. But the timing of what God wanted to do was important. So as Jesus obeyed his Father, he lived out the truth that God's timing is an important expression of God's will. We always want to know, what's God's will for my life? Is, is this a part of God's will for my life? If it is, where does this timing fit in with all of this? For example... God's will is for me maybe to be in a relationship with another person, okay? Well, if that's true, that's part of his will, then I've got to heed to his timing. It may not be now. You often hear people say, well, I believe God wants me to do this. That's probably true. But when does he want you to do this? And sometimes we rush into it thinking, it's supposed to be now, right? Maybe he's got to say, not yet. So we learn that his will and his timing go together. And so Jesus didn't go with his brothers as a large procession of travelers are leaving Galilee. They're all taken off. He's like, ah, not yet, not yet. I'm going to go after them. Wait for it, wait for it. Now, then he goes. Okay? Verse 12. There's a lot of grumbling that goes on among the crowds. Because Jesus gets there. And sort of picture this, this big area, big, uh, the city's full of people from in Jerusalem, outside Jerusalem. A lot of conversations going on, religious leaders, common people, shepherds, whoever may be there in there, okay? And it says there's a lot of grumbling going on among the crowds. Some argued, referring to Jesus, he's a good man, but others said he's nothing but a fraud who deceives the people. Verse 13, but no one had the courage to speak favorably about him in public for they're afraid of getting in trouble with Jewish leaders. See, they, they complained because they wanted Jesus to fulfill all these things about the Messiah would do, right? Rub, rub that special bottle, the genie pops out, I get my three wishes. Come on, Jesus. You did all these other miracles and great things. You fed thousands. You, you healed people. So come on, why don't you do it for us right now? And Jesus wasn't doing it at that time. He was teaching. He wasn't doing all the miracles. And they're grumbling. Come on, Jesus, show us something, right? But then again, some of them didn't want to say anything because they knew the religious leaders hated Jesus. So if I talk favorably about Jesus, I might get linked to Jesus. So I might get tossed in jail, stoned or something as well. These people, as you can see here, there's a little split. And the question is, this morning, is the same question I often ask, is who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to this crowd of people and to what's going on here? Then as we, you know, we all know, Jesus uh, divides people, right? That's sort of what's happening here. I had a conversation the other day. Somebody said, don't you feel like Satan is just getting in there and just dividing our nation, and dividing people, and, 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 and it just Satan just brings disunity? And, and I'm sitting there going, yeah, I believe that, but let me ask you a question. Do you think maybe... Jesus can divide people too? Do you think maybe there's disunity amongst us because of where we stand for Jesus? After all, Jesus said when he'd come, people would turn against each other, right? Why is that? Because when I stand for Jesus, I'm setting myself apart from the world. And when we set ourselves apart from the world, guess what? They're not going to understand. They're going to think we're different in such a way that it will cause conflict. So, could it be that both evil and Jesus can bring division? Possible, yeah. 
But what we're seeing now is there's a division here because they can't figure out who is Jesus. There's a division going on here. The religious leaders didn't want the people to talk about Jesus at all. So the common people feared penalty or some kind of problem with religious leaders. So don't talk about Jesus, right? Where do we stand on that? If that was you, if that was me, and we're in a crowd of people, will you talk about Jesus? Will you let people know where you stand? So about a week ago, um, right before we left on vacation, Jenny got me a shirt, and it's one I talked about to the church. And um, so she picked it up for me. And, and actually, Jody Lynn, your son was wearing it. It's Jesus Takes Naps, Be Like Jesus, Mark chapter 4. Yeah, it's, it's a great shirt. So I got one adult size, not his size. That would have been really bad. Okay. So, and I thought, I'm just going to wear it. So I wore it uh, on vacation and walking down Gatlinburg. And, and you know, I can't tell you how many compliments I got on the shirt. There's a lot of people, hey, nice shirt. I like that shirt. Hey, I like, you know, and then my, my response was, well, thank you. Then, then I had to be corny or something with this. Like, well, I'm serious about my naps, and I'm more serious about Jesus. And they're like, amen, brother. And so I got a lot of those comments. And then you also get the other comments, too. The, oh, the Jesus guy. Oh, one of those. You know, the rolling of the eyes, right? It creates division, doesn't it? There is some unity, but it also creates division because everybody stands differently on who Jesus is. And it's no different here in this crowd. Look at verse 14. Then midway through the festival, Jesus went up to the temple and he began to teach. The people were surprised when they heard him. How does he know so much when he hasn't been trained, they asked. So Jesus told them, my message is not my own. It comes from God who sent me. Anyone who wants to do the will of God will know whether my teaching is from God or merely my own. Those who speak for themselves want glory only for themselves. But a person who seeks to honor the one who sent him speaks truth, not lies. See, in verse 14, Jesus goes up to the temple. And although Jesus avoided that big, grand production, sort of remember Palm Sunday? He had that great entrance. Okay, This time it's not a great entrance. He just goes to the temple. But... He's still bold. He is still strong in his words. He taught with, with incredible strength. He never shrank back from proclaiming the truth. In verse 15, it says the Jewish leaders knew that Jesus had not studied or not been a disciple under another rabbi or a prominent rabbi. He didn't follow the normal expected course of the education of a teacher. Because see, what would happen back then, if I was a rabbi and I got up here in front of you to teach, I would put up on this quotes, I would mention, I'd put them up on the screen, well, this comes from so-and-so, and this comes from so-and-so, and Professor so-and-so said this, and Dr. so-and-so said this, and Pastor so-and-so said this, and I would use quote after quote after quote to back up my point. And then you would sit there and say, ah, he is a well-learned teacher because he has been under the reign of all these other people, and he has quoted them. Okay, so that's what, you know, you know, you're a good rabbi, right? Well, in this moment, Jesus gets up and he just teaches truth. And they're like, who is this guy? You've not mentioned one rabbi you've been under. You've not mentioned who who that quote came from. And Jesus basically says, well, let me tell you where I got my message from. God. That's my authority. My teaching, my message is from God, Period. His words never contradict his message. His words never contradict his life. You look at how Jesus lived, what Jesus taught. They never contradicted each other. They always fell in line with each other. And so when we look in Scripture here, he didn't point to his credentials. He didn't talk about who he studied under. He didn't talk about, he talked about his doctrine. This is what is true. 
And had the religious leaders really went back to the scriptures that they studied and they knew, they would have thought, hey, you know what? His doctrine right now lines exactly up with what Moses talked about. His doctrine right now matches up exactly with what the prophets foretold. But they didn't do that. The religious leaders were jealous. They did not like who Jesus was. He continues to say in verse 17, Anyone who wants to do the will of God will know whether my teaching is from God or merely my own. I love this. Tenney puts it this way. He says, Spiritual understanding is not produced solely by learning facts or procedures, but rather depends on obedience to known truth. Jesus says, you, you want to know what I'm teaching here? It's those who do the will of God know whether my teaching is from God or not. See, my learning and my doing go together. I would also say this. Trust, believing in what you're hearing and trusting that is living. And as you live, you are living as obedience and obedience is evidence. What we believe should be shown in evidence. There should be some scene, something that we can prove, right, from what we are proclaiming. Look at verse 19. Moses gave you the law, but none of you obeys it. In fact, you're trying to kill me. The crowd replied, you're demon-possessed. Who's trying to kill you? Jesus replied, I did one miracle on the Sabbath, and you were amazed. But you work on the Sabbath, too, when you obey Moses' law of circumcision. Actually, this tradition of circumcision began with the patriarchs, long before the law of Moses. Verse 23 says, For if the correct time for circumcising your son falls on the Sabbath, you go ahead and do it, so as not to break the law of Moses. So why should you be angry with me for healing a man on the Sabbath? Look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. So if you're following the thoughts here, what Jesus is saying is something like this. Hey, I'm sinless, okay? And, and none of you keep the law. Why then are you trying to kill me? You're the guilty ones under the law because the law was on the Sabbath. You don't work. You don't do anything. And they, if circumcision fell on the Sabbath, well, they would go ahead and, and cut the baby. Well, let's, let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and do the circumcision procedure. But you're breaking the Sabbath. Oh, but it's okay. We can do that. But Jesus, you can't heal people. So I can mutilate the body, but I can't heal the body. Yeah, that makes no sense according to your law. So actually, you're the ones breaking the law and not me. But the religious leaders did not want to hear that, right? Look at verse 25. Some of the people who lived in Jerusalem, they started to ask each other, hey, wait a minute, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? But here he is speaking in public, and they say nothing to him. Could our leaders possibly believe that he's the Messiah? The answer to that is no. Okay? John doesn't include there, but it's no. Verse 27. But how could he be? For we know that where this man comes from, and when the Messiah comes, he will simply appear. But no one will know where he comes from. Actually, the Bible does tell us where he comes from. While Jesus was teaching in the temple, he called out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I come from, but I'm not here on my own. The one who sent me is true, and you don't know him, but I know him because I come from him, and he sent me to you. Then the leaders tried to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his time had not yet come. Again, in this scripture, Jesus is claiming to be the Son of God. He lays his credentials out there. This is who I am now. And this only makes the religious leaders even more angry, more upset. And the people from Jerusalem that are living in the city, they know the religious leaders. They know what the religious leaders want to do to Jesus. People that are outside of the city who have come in, this is all new to them about the hatred of the religious leaders. 
And they're trying to figure it out, like, wait a minute, aren't these guys, don't they hate Jesus? Shouldn't they try to kill him or arrest him or do something? But they went to arrest him, but they couldn't do it yet. You know why? Because it wasn't time yet. God's will and God's timing had not lined up yet for this one. They were amazed that the rulers did nothing in, in this moment. Look at verse 31. Many among the crowds at the temple believed in him. After all, they said, would you expect the Messiah to do more miraculous signs than this man has done? When the Pharisees heard that the crowds were whispering such things, they and the leading priests and temple guards who arrest Jesus. Now, the religious leaders are getting upset. Oh, wait, you know what? They're starting to talk about Jesus. They're starting to believe in him. We've got to shut this guy down. So they sent somebody to go arrest him. Look at verse 33. But Jesus told them, I'll be with you a little longer, then I'll return to the one who sent me. You'll search for me, but you will not find me. And you cannot go where I'm going. He's talking about it right now. He's predicting his crucifixion and his resurrection and his ascent into heaven. Verse 35. The Jewish leaders were puzzled by this statement. Well, where's he planning to go, they asked. Is he thinking of leaving the country and going to the Jews in other lands? Maybe he'll even reach the, uh, teach the, Jew, the Greeks. What does he mean when he says, you will search for me, but not find me? And you cannot go where I am going. What, what's this all about? They're very confused, right? The arresting officers did not arrest him. They couldn't figure out. They're like, I, I, if he really is the Christ, you want to arrest him? I'm not going to arrest him. What do you want to do about it? They went back to the religious leaders and we didn't do it. Sorry. And they weren't very happy about that. So they came back empty-handed. But as Jesus spoke to the people, as you see, they were drawn to faith in him. Verse 31, look what it says. Many among the crowds at the temple believed in him. It didn't matter if some people opposed him. It didn't matter if some people wanted to kill him. There were still people that believed in him, that wanted to hear. Jesus made public his teachings at this time, and people believed in those teachings. They believed in him. They marveled at the signs he did. But as I read this passage, and I stop here, you know, we started in what, verse, well, picked up in verse 6, sort of cover some, but we end here in, in verse, uh, what, 36? So I look at that whole scripture passage, and I guess this is what I want to share with you as I, as I look over that scripture. I'm just drawn to this notion that the identity of Jesus was in question. There's all these people from different places in life. Some are believing. Some are hating him. Some don't know what to think. Matter of fact, let me put up on the screen some of the different things that we read here. Some people said, well, he's good. Okay, first of all, let me, let me share this with you. He's more than good. Okay? He is God. God is the one who saves us. Good can't save you. When the paralyzed man was being lowered into the room where Jesus was, and Jesus healed him, the first thing he said, though, was, your sins are forgiven. When the lady, remember the long hair, and she's crying at the feet of Jesus, and her tears are going on to the feet of Jesus, she takes her hair and sort of washes his feet. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Jesus forgives. Good can't forgive. It doesn't matter how good you are, it doesn't save you. Only Jesus can save you. They also said in verse 13, he's a fraud and a deceiver. Verse 15, he's surprised. He's, they're confused by the knowledge of Jesus, right? Verse 20, they call him demon-possessed and crazy, right? Verse 27, he's just a man. He's not the Messiah. See, everybody has their opinion of who Jesus is. And you go out in any big crowd today and you say, who's Jesus? And people are like, oh, everybody's got a whole bunch of different opinions, right? Hopefully when you come to a church, the answer is just one answer. He is the Son of God. He is our Savior and He is our Lord. 
So who is he? How do you answer that? Because again, it comes back to you having to answer the question. I can't answer it for you. I can give you what I believe the Bible is telling us clearly here. But you're the one that has to proclaim it. You're the one that has to answer this question up on the screen. Who is Jesus? And if you can't answer that question, you need to make sure you can answer before you leave today. Do you believe his words? If you know who Jesus is and you can believe his words, then you can go in his direction. Otherwise, it's hard to go in his direction if you don't know him and you don't believe what he says. The religious leaders, they tried using the law. If you look back at verses 19 to 24, they were trying to use the law to condemn Jesus. He's a lawbreaker, referring to the healing the man on the Sabbath. Oh, you healed this man on the Sabbath. You can't do that. And Jesus is like, wait, 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 let's talk about circumcision, what you guys are doing here, right? Jesus points out the law actually condemns us. The law doesn't save us. The law points us to Jesus. When you open up, pick up God's word, maybe you like to say, go back to the Ten Commandments, the law of God, and you're looking at that, and it's like, well, the, following those Ten Commandments, will that save me? Does the law save me? Yes or no? Thank you. I gave you a little head nod to help you on that one. No, it doesn't save us. The law condemns us. The law points out that we need Jesus. Uh, let, me, let me use you an illustration like this, okay? So let's say you go look in a mirror. The mirror is like the law. When you come from outside and you come into the house, you've been working hard, maybe out in the yard, and you're all sweating, you take your hand, and you oh, I probably got dirt all over my face, right? You go and you look in the mirror, and when you look in the mirror, you're like, oh, I've got dirt on my face, okay? The purpose of the mirror is to reveal what's going on with the reflection, okay? Now, the mirror does not clean me, though. I do not walk up to that mirror like, oh, man, I got a lot of dirt all on my face. I don't grab the mirror, pull it off of its hinges, and like, Try to wipe my face with the mirror, right? That'd be silly, right? Because the mirror doesn't clean your face. The mirror, the purpose of the mirror is to point out what needs to be cleaned. Then I grab the cleansing agent, which is the soap and the water, and I use that to wash my face. The mirror points it out. The soap cleanses me. The law points out our sin. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. So when I look at this, 2 Corinthians 5.21 makes a lot of sense, right? For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. He is the cleansing agent. The law points out how sinful people we are. It doesn't take long when you open up the Bible to realize we're falling pretty short of what God wants. Praise God that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, to cleanse us from those sins, to forgive us of those sins. But here's the thing. Even after hearing the truth, some people still wouldn't believe. They didn't want to believe. So let me ask you this. What keeps us from believing? I mean, some of you in here, you're like, I prayed that prayer. I, I believe in Jesus Christ. And then you went through a time in your life. We, sort of, we call it backsliding in the church I grew up. It's like, I'm living for Jesus, then I'm not living for Jesus. We call that backsliding. Okay. Maybe you know people, like, I, they grew up in the church. Oh, they're, they're, they're loving the church, and then they're off to college. They're off to work. They have kids. The next thing you know, or something happens in their life, a tragedy. And the next thing is, I don't believe in this Jesus stuff anymore. I don't, I, I'm giving up on God. They don't want it anymore. They don't believe it anymore. Do you know somebody like that? Have you been there yourself? I mean, who is this Jesus? Do you really believe him or not? Are you all in or not? As Christians in this room, I hope and pray everybody in this room today is like, hey, I'm all in. 
I believe that Jesus Christ is the cleansing agent. He's the one who's forgiven me. I'm, I'm trusting him. I'm going to go forward in my life. I'm going to journey with him. And I know it's rough, though. That gets rough at times. And there's times we want to give up, right? Do not give up. Do not give up. You know, we, uh, part of my reason I'm probably not rested up is because I'm still stressed from vacation. Because we had a cabin uh, we rented a cabin in the Smoky Mountains that was like, it was seriously, at the top of one of the mountains. I mean, it was like, it was way up there. Some of you have probably done this before. You've rented a cabin in the Smokies or something like that, and, and you, you pull in, you take the back road, and, you know, you get the GPS. It gives you the, the trail and everything, the road. And we're, it's a paved road. We're going up, and I'm telling you, there are corners where you have to turn sharp. You don't know who's coming around the other corner. And then there's a hill you go over, like, I don't know. And then you're going steep, and it's, we're talking. You put it in low gear. Okay, and you grind your way up that mountain. Okay, and it seems like it's forever. And we were doing that. And there was a couple curves and a couple corners. I'm like, I hope nobody's coming. I hope nobody's coming. Whew, okay, good. Whew, I hope nobody's coming. Okay, there's another road. Okay, and we're going. And eventually we get up to the top. And we got to the top of the mountain. It was like we were on the top of the mountain. And there's a couple other cabins around. And it's like you could see, you know, 360 all the way around. And we get into our cabin. Like, whew, man, I never want to go down that road again. But I'm here all week, so I'm probably going to have to. And sure enough, in a couple hours, like, hey, we need groceries. All right, load up the vans. So we had extended family with us, and so we had two vans of people. So we took off, did a, went out to eat, and went to Kroger, did shopping, all that kind of stuff. We load up and go, and we got separated but at the light. It's about 11 o'clock at night, and it's like, well, we both know the way. We've been up there, so we both know the way back. So we'll just take off. We'll meet you up there. And in the back of my mind, gentlemen, what are we going to do now? Race, good answer. Okay, good. Because you want to be the first one back to the cabin, right? So my GPS pops up, and I'm thinking, okay, let's go. And it's like, oh, that's a different route than the one we took. Well, wait, I remember there was two routes, I think. Because I remember the other one coming down from the mountain, there was another route I could take. But well, let's take it. Could be faster. We could beat them, right? So we get going, and we go through this gated community. It's like, whoa, this is nice. And Siri, lovely Siri. Siri, how do I get to the cabin? Getting directions to Oakland University. That's the problem right there. Did you just hear what it just said? I said, how do I get to the cab? And it goes, getting directions to Oakland University. Where did Oakland University come in? I don't know. But I'm listening to this voice I don't recognize or don't know so well. But it's like, I'm going to trust it. And I'm going to keep going. And we're in this gated community. And we're going up. And all of a sudden, the, the paved road turns to gravel. I'm going, oh. Now, wisdom at my age says, hmm, this may not be right. But... I want to be the first to the top, and I'm trusting Siri, so let's do this, right? So off we go. We're on a gravel road now. We're winding, and there are some sharp turns again. There's no guardrails, mind you, and this is a tall mountain, and, and there's that over the hill, and then, and then we get to a point where it's like, this is getting a little rough. We're starting to rock a little bit in the van, and then Jenny calls me because she's in the other van. Actually, they're already at the cabin. They're like, where are you at? We're like... Well, we're all, and it's like, boom. And it's like, what did you hit? Somebody talked to mom. I think we hit a deer. We did not hit a deer. Hang up. Just hang up. And there's like, rocks are hitting the van. And I'm thinking, this is, this is crazy. What are we doing? And then this big truck comes around the corner. I'm going, no. At 11 o'clock, no. And I've got my brights on. And he's like driving like this. And I'm, I'm sorry. And I've got to go around the edge of a curve. Big drop off. And I'm going, don't slide, don't slide, don't slide. And I get around the truck. I'm thinking, I'm just panicking. I'm trying to stay calm, right? Okay. But then we get, and then all of a sudden, it's like so steep. I'm thinking, 
who made a road going this direction, right? And as I'm going, all of a sudden, I'm hearing stones spin, and my wheels are turning. I'm not going anywhere. Stones are flying everywhere. We're on loose gravel, and I'm stuck. I'm stuck on a mountain at 1130 at night, and it is pitch dark, and there are no guardrails, and I'm thinking, why did I come here, right, you know? And right away, one of my sons is like, hey, should we get out and push? I'm going, which one? The one on the crutches with a fractured foot or the one in the sling with a dislocated shoulder? Which one of you want to push? Oh, how about the 13-year-old over here who just peed his pants because he's so scared? He could push. And so I'm thinking, we are in trouble, right? So I'm thinking, oh, what do I do? What do I do? Because I know we're, we weren't going anywhere. There's no way. At the angle, and we're just we're starting to slip back a little bit. I'm going, this is not good. So I put it in reverse. And I look at my little, my little uh, picture, you know, you're in your, your vehicle to see that, that um, camera in the back. And it's all covered because of dust. I'm thinking, oh, it's awesome. Um, old school. Roll down the windows, try to look at the mirrors. One of the guys in the back, okay, drive towards Andy's side. All right. Drive, okay, your side, okay. Because we're going down. I remember a couple hundred yards back, there's a little area I could turn around. So I'm going down a mountain backwards over these curving hills and, and just in the dark going, and I turn on the radio for the call me. It's one of those Jesus songs. Just trust him in the dark places. No, I'm, I'm mad right now. God's trying to talk to me and I just wanted to tune him out. You know what I'm saying? Cause it's like, I got your ex. Like, yeah, you shouldn't have got me here in the first place. Right. And so we get, we get to that point where we finally get turned around. And we start going again. It's like, okay, deep breath. We're good. Okay. We're driving now. We're still on the gravel road, but I know that pavement's going to come soon. Come on, Siri. Oh, no service. This is awesome. And so then we get to the pavement. It's like still no service. Oh, we've got a road. And we turn and we're like, after about 10 minutes, this isn't the right way either. Another phone call. Where you got? I'm, I'm not talking. I can't talk right now. Um, because I was lost. And I was so frustrated because I'd just been there. But now I had such a feeling of being lost. And I did not like that feeling. So finally came the wits in. It's like, okay, this is what I need to do. Go back to where I started. Just go back to the first location when I arrived in Gatlinburg to where we got our cabin information, get my service back on my phone, and find that road that we took. I needed to, to relocate myself and, and go back to beginning. And I'm sitting there thinking about, this is so much like life, isn't it? How we're living for Jesus, and sometimes it gets a little rough. I'm going to tell you something. Sometimes there's things in our life that just go wrong. Life is hard. There's, there's no explanation for it right now. Sorry about what happened in your life. Sorry for what tragedy. Sorry for your sickness. Sorry for um, something that just didn't work out the way you wanted to work out. But sometimes life is hard. And, and as we're going up there, and life is just spinning out. It's like, I don't think I can go any further. And what do we do? We sort of give up on our faith. I said, I, I thought I knew who Jesus was, but I don't know if I can trust him right now. So we just put it in reverse, and I'm going to go back the old way because it was so much more comfortable then. But what we had to do was go back to where we started, sort of reroute ourselves, go back to the original scriptures. Because here's the thing. Darkness, fear, doubt will play tricks on our minds. Our emotions are not a good factor. Truth is what anchors us. Truth is what helps us understand. Truth is what gives us traction in life. And in those moments, my emotions were all over the place. I needed truth. 
Maybe it's time for us to go back to the original teachings of Jesus, reconnect with Jesus, trust Jesus, trust his teachings. And although the crowd is very dis, I don't know, disunified who he is, we know who Jesus is. Trust the truth of his teachings. Trust who Jesus is. Today is filled with a lot of sorrow and pain. I tell you, Jesus, someday, he's going to come back and wipe that all away. Do you believe that truth? Revelation 21 tells us of the most beautiful coming of a new heaven and new earth. The new Jerusalem sounds, and as you read Revelation 21, it's described as the most incredible place. It's better than any rental. It's better than any cabin. It's better than any palace. You pick whatever location you want to live in, it's going to be better. I believe that. That is truth. That's not emotion. Revelation 21, 25 to 27 says, Only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will get in. My name's written in there. I believe that. When I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, I believe my name is written in that Lamb's book of life. And when Jesus Christ returns and those names are read off, amen. Are you? If you haven't confessed with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, today is the day. You know, a wise person doesn't wait till the night of the, you know, it wasn't like, oh, I'm just going to wait till show up and hopefully I can get in the cabin. Yeah, I'm just going to show up and hopefully I can get a hotel reservation. A wise person makes their reservations in advance. Now's the time. You don't know when Jesus Christ is coming back. You don't know when that day will be. I don't either. Heaven is a place of no more, no more fear, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more tears. Revelations 21, 1 to 4 tells us that truth. Go back and read Revelation 21 today. What we experience today is a part of the Genesis 3 curse. What happened in El Paso, what happened in Dayton doesn't make sense to us. We live in a world of of violence and painful situations because we know of human sin and darkness. But in the midst of today's pain, guess what? We are agents of God's love. We're agents of God's love. Let me give you one more scripture and we'll close on this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 to 18 says this. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying and our spirits are being re- renewed every day, for our present troubles, think about all the troubles you got going on in your life right now. Our present troubles are small and won't last very long, yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now, because they're there, aren't they? Rather, we fix our gaze on things that we cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Church, don't lose heart with what's going on in this world right now. Keep going. Trust the words of Jesus Christ. If you believe in who Jesus is, then you've got to believe his words. And his words are always true and promising and hopeful. It, listen, he's more than a good man. He is God's son. Trust him. Do not give up. You know, that next morning at the cabin... Um, I went out on our, on our deck, and, and I could look out, and I could just see for miles, and the mountain range, the valley, and had a cup of coffee, and I'm just leaning on the banister, and I'm just in, enjoying uh, a stress-free morning, hopefully. And, and I'm looking over the edge, and I see all these trees, and I see a little dirt road, and I'm going, huh. And then one of the boys said, hey, Dad, that, that big uh, tank there, that looks familiar. There's like a, like a water tank, a little back end. It's like, is that where we backed up into Hmm. So I put my coffee down, got my shoes, and went hiking around, and all of us went. And we went up over the, over just over a little hill where the cabins were, and right there was the road. And I stood at the edge of the road, and I looked down where the dirt was and where we spun out and where we were stuck. We were less than 100 yards from the cabin. 
Never knew it. But see, it was dark. And my emotions were all over the place. And I'm really not thinking I would have got past those loose stones anyway. But had I known, I maybe I would have tried again. Because I was so close. So close. But that's what doubt and fear does to us. We lose sight of who Jesus is and where we're going in our life and our faith. And we give up. Don't give up on who Jesus is. He is true. He is God's son. He is our savior. You need to be able to answer that. You need to be able to proclaim that. Amen? Would you stand please? I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. In the midst of, of this world that we live in right now, we, we all have certain troubles. We all have challenges. We all face things that can be difficult. and Some of us have more joyful moments than others. Some of us have more sorrowful moments than others. But regardless of what we are facing, we are on this journey with you. And you've promised to never leave us. God, someday you'll make all things right. Someday we'll be in that eternal destination. We'll be in heaven and we'll be in your presence. There'll be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more fear, no more doubt. But God, right now, while we're here, help us to not give up on you. God, the crowds were pretty fickle in deciding who is Jesus. Today we proclaim we know who Jesus is. Jesus Christ is the Son of God, our Savior and our Lord. He saves us from our sins. Thank you, God, for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on that cross for his body to be broken, his blood to be shed, so that we could taste eternal life with you. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, not only to save us, but to be our Lord, to show us how to live. We trust you, Lord. We trust your Son, Jesus Christ. We know who he is. And we understand that when we live for him, people may not like it, but we're not here to please them. We're here to please you. So God, help us answer that question. Who is Jesus? May we all be able to answer it. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. Calling him Savior and Lord, help us to follow him to live for him. Help us to trust. Help us to believe. Help us to not give up. We love you, Lord. We thank you for this day and we've come to worship you. In that name we pray. Amen.